You're listening to the Voices for Nature podcast. Cocktails, controversy and conservation. Brought to you by the Nature Conservation Council. And here are your hosts, Chris Gambian and Jackie Mumford. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Cocktails, Controversy and Conservation. My name is Chris Gambian. I'm the Chief Executive of the Nature Conservation Council of New South Wales. And welcome to Parramatta. This is, uh, we're hosted tonight, uh, we're coming live from the United Workers Union offices in uh, downtown Parramatta because, Jackie, tonight we're talking about Western Sydney. We are, yeah, we're talking all about heat waves um, in Western Sydney. Um, and I feel like I shouldn't be grinning like an idiot when I say that because it's, um, yeah, it's a huge issue. And under climate change, um, heat waves are, yeah, going to be getting worse. So we'll, we'll be hearing all about that tonight. First time ever, we've got our live guests, not on Zoom. Uh, Welcome everybody. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to actually be here in person and not to be sitting at home at my kitchen table in front of my laptop when we have guests. So thanks for joining us. Tonight we've got Tui Nguyen, who's an organiser with the Sydney Alliance. We've got Ian Ipondulan, uh, who is the chair of the Northwest Caucus for Voices for Power, uh, and Steph Cuneo from the United Workers Union. So thanks Steph for hosting us tonight. It's great to have you all here. We wanted to talk about um, Western Sydney and in particular the heat island effect in Western Sydney but really when we think about climate change and we think about the issues that we are living with right now when it comes to climate, this is not sort of speculating into the future about what might happen, this is what's happening right now. Uh, It seems like it's hard to think of a better place to come to than uh, to Parramatta and to the broader Western Sydney area to, to just start looking at what are the impacts on real people right this very moment and perhaps what are some of the things that we can do about it um, over the coming uh, years. Um, Ian, first of all, um, you, you are a resident of Western Sydney and you might have to explain, not everybody who's listening tonight is uh, from Sydney or New South Wales, but um, what's it like? Tell us, tell us a bit about yourself and tell us a bit about your, your story with climate change. Yeah, I guess you know, just to start off, where is Western Sydney in, in the mix of things? and you know, Western Sydney kind of encompasses all the way from the Blue Mountains all the way right through here to Parramatta, and it's a, a huge distance that's covered. Uh, and uh, I think it, we did a bit of a, a research earlier about how many people are based here in Western Sydney, more than two million, uh, some, probably larger than some of our capital cities uh, in other states. So I guess my story in terms of how the heat has affected myself and my own family I am living in Western Sydney. I've been a resident of Western Sydney pretty much all my life. So more than 25 years here living in Western Sydney. And I've experienced over the number of years, especially more recently in the last five years, how uh, we're experiencing more heat waves or more longer stretches of heat uh, over the last couple of years. It used to be perhaps maybe you get one or two days of extreme heat uh, per uh, per summer season, but I think recently now you're experiencing at least two, three days, if not more. And uh, in our own households, sometimes it's uh, very difficult to uh, turn on the air conditioning because it, it, the electricity costs for our families and those that I've spoken to in our communities, whether they're young families or whether they're the elderly, they've spoken about how difficult it is to uh, live with these heat waves, increasing heat waves affecting our communities here in Western Sydney. So uh, unless something is done about it, then uh, we'll continue to face these problems over the next coming years. And uh, hopefully this is an opportunity for our communities to have a say and uh, voice out, you know, what can we, what can be done about uh, changing uh, 
the current status of um, heat waves in, in mm. our in our populations. Yeah, and Tuiana, you do a lot of work with residents across Western Sydney through the Voices for Power work. Uh, when Ian was just talking then about power bills, like what are some of the stories that you're hearing, or what are some of the experiences of your members with with you know heat waves and the impacts on their power bills? Yeah, so what. Um what Ian mentioned about the fear of the high cost of power bills, it's it's a real fear. Like um, cooling takes up 40% of our energy bills. And in Western Sydney, if you, that means longer hot days, longer hot heat waves, means we have to turn on the aircon more. So people are making these really tough calculations about whether they can cop the bill in about three months time, or, um, or you know, sit in really uncomfortably and try to manage um, where they can. So that's the kind of stories we're hearing. But also we're talking to renters. Housing affordability is really, really um, a big issue in Sydney. People in Western Sydney, a lot of them rent. And so a lot of the houses aren't even built with air conditioning. So we're hearing stories about people having to turn on their fan and putting a cold towel over the fan. Um, we heard stories about people having to drive to a relative's house that's outside of Western Sydney to sleep. Another family I've heard is to take their kids to their 24-hour Kmart so they can have some relief and have, get, get sleep before they go to school the next day. Um, those are the types of stories we're hearing, that people are, cannot be comfortable in their home in Western Sydney. And it's only going to get worse with climate change. Mm. Uh, and so we want to do something about it. We want to raise our community's voices that this needs there needs to be something that that happens that, that addresses this issue. Yeah, it's huge. Steph, tell us a little bit about uh, United Workers Union and some of the, the workers that you represent. Uh, and what, how does kind of work and climate kind of go hand in hand? How do they intercept? So that's mm. a great question, Chris. So primarily for our members, it's about occupational health and safety, but it's also about you know, what happens at home, as Twee was saying. So the United Workers Union represents members really that are primarily low paid workers. So anything of the spectrum that people that work in casinos, in early childhood, um, home care, disability care, hospitality, um, logistics, warehousing. So a lot of low paid workers that are doing bread and butter jobs. And so the kind of things that Twee talked about are really pertinent because, you know, because they don't earn well, paying air conditioning is a really big thing. A lot of our members are renters or they're really struggling to pay a mortgage. So keeping their home cool is a really big deal. And if keeping your home cool is a big deal and being able to get to sleep is a big deal and then you're going into a job and you have to perform a job in a safe way, that's a big deal. So we're not just talking about occupational health and safety at the workplace, we're talking about the impacts of heat before you even get to work. So we're looking at it wholly and, and some of the things we've been doing is we have developed an extreme weather training module where we're training up our members so that they can understand, you know, what their rights are under health and safety with extreme weather. Specifically, I want to talk um, about two types of members. Now I'll talk about our members that work in warehouses here. And for those members, there are standards or codes in terms of heat. So often they are working in big warehouses in a really non-air conditioned environment and putting up with that heat at home. So what you're having is you're having heat stress, which is an immediate thing and then you're having the bigger impacts over the long term of heat that impact your body and age your body prematurely and make you vulnerable to illness. When you say warehouses, like what sort of work, like what sort of warehouses are we talking about? So it about could here? be warehouses for supermarkets, for example. So think about COVID, right? When a lot of us were privileged to work at home, our members are frontline workers too, but you don't see them in lights often like you see doctors or nurses, mm. and that is not at all to, you know, belittle the work of those frontline workers. But frontline workers are people that, you know, 
bring together the products in a warehouse or they pack things in a warehouse so they can get on the supermarket shelf, so that they can get to a coal mine even. There's a range of things that our members do in warehousing and that work did not stop during COVID. They kept going to work every single day. Yeah. And with the work that you're doing in with the um, Voices for Power Northwest Caucus across um, that part of Sydney, um, what are some of the stories that you're hearing when you're doing your table talks and uh, with the people that you're speaking to um, through that work? Yeah, I guess we have a variety of different people from the different uh, from the different communities, whether they're faith-based or they're uh, from different ethnic groups, etc. And what the stories that we've heard uh, so far, I guess, in regards to the heat, is definitely you know about that. What you said earlier, to you, you know, the air conditioning bills, I guess, for young people, mm. even trying to afford to buy a home, and so renting the cost of renting versus the cost of living at the same time, being balancing it out. So it affects all our different. Um, I guess all the, the different broad spectrum of people and uh, we're really they're really calling out for I guess our community leaders to say you know you're our leaders what can we do or what what are the small steps that we can do to be part of making a change in our own in our own communities in Western Sydney so uh, it's the hope that through the Voices for Power it's an opportunity for those uh, voices that are usually not heard, especially migrants who don't speak English as their first mm. language, and mm. being able to have the right information translated uh, for those diverse communities, and uh, so that they are all also on the same page of understanding how to pay their own electricity bills, mm. and at the same time uh, understanding you know how we can uh, make a change. So yeah. um, we're hearing all the different stories from across, whether it's you know. Uh, in terms of how they're getting to work, public transport, mm. um, sometimes breakdowns of trains, mm. uh, or people uh, going to shopping centres because they cannot uh, afford to, pay, uh, to use electricity, uh, the air conditioning in mm. their own homes. So there's all those various different stories and mm. how people are coping in these heat. Mm. I'm interested, just in both you and Tui mentioned, like the cost of living and renting and um, you know, oftentimes people are living in apartments, might be more high density living and so public outdoor spaces become quite important if you don't have a backyard or you don't have a courtyard. Like what's the experience in summer if you want to, you know, what's it like in, in those sort of public outdoor spaces as well? Yeah, I guess, you know, I guess one experience is, I think it was Australia Day this year, uh, that was, you know, about a 40 degree day. And a number of our community, you know, the opportunity, okay, let's go to the pool but there's only very few pools around in Western Sydney. And so mm. when you go to those places, it feels like you're going, you know, going to a pool, but it's full of people. Mm. And what's the point? It gets in, it's like a, 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 like a pool full of sardines almost. So <laughs> that kind of experience is, is it really trying to cool down or mm. you're seeing other people there? You don't feel like you want to do, engage in those sorts of things. And people want to it's escape COVID. Oh, right, yeah. it's COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to be close to another person, right? Yeah. 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 So, to try and find different solutions, I think uh, our communities are, are struggling to try to find mm. how can they, I guess, be in community with their with their fellow members as well as staying safe as well mm. during this time. Sure, so yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting times. Yeah, and I heard yesterday that the in Parramatta the pool's closed. That there's there was a pool that they're renovating it, great. But then the second pool, I think they closed that for for maintenance. So then there are families here with kids. They want to take it, you know, to the pool to cool down. They have to travel all the way into the city to do that. Mm. They, they they don't have e we don't have easy like access to beaches is what they say. Mm. We need to go to the public pool, and if the amenities aren't there, 
what are they going to do? I was just going to say, so is some of this um, just down to kind of urban design? Like a lot of Western yeah. Sydney, I mean, I live sort of on the cusp of the South and the West, um, but is a lot of this that we've had housing, like housing expand in Sydney mm -hmm. and not perhaps enough town planning sort of thought into what the impact would be. I mean, for people who are not from Sydney, Ian or Steph or Twee, you know, describe a typical suburb like, say, Blacktown or somewhere like that. Describe what, what, what it's like. I would like to describe Richmond. I don't live in Richmond, but um, my dog, who I got recently, um, I got from Richmond. So I spent a fair bit of time out there. And one of the things that strikes me when I drive out to the place that Choker goes is there's a lot of green space until you get to the suburb. And then you get to the suburb and the sardines, the houses are packed like sardines. All the roofs are black, right? So they're black, they're next to each other. There is less garden and outdoor space in these developments than there is in the east of Sydney where I grew up. And there are no buses, there's no amenities, and there's everywhere you drive. Then you have to drive another 10 k's down the road to the shopping centre. And there's so many houses, it's indescribable, packed into a flat spot. So they're near flood zones, they're in flat spots, and the heat just radiates. When you get out of a car, it is 10 degrees hotter than it is, you know, what would it be, east mm. of maybe Burwood or something like that. And it's hot because there's so much concrete and so much black on the roofs of these developments and there's not a tree in sight. It, mm. it's, I'm sure you two can describe suburbs like that. Yeah, definitely. In, in, in our areas such as Penrith and Blacktown, as more west you go uh, from the coast of Sydney, uh, you definitely see when you're driving the temperature gauge goes higher and higher. And we know that in Western Sydney, temperatures are at least 6 to 10 degrees more than in Eastern Sydney. And it's only going to continue to rise if we don't do any, uh, any action on that. And mm. so, uh, as you said, you know, the design of particular places, especially new housing developments in northwest part of Sydney, how there's lots of houses being built, but where's the infrastructure to support that? You know, public transportation, uh, and I guess, you know, amenities, facilities, those sorts of things are so important to the community. And I think at the same time, uh, when developers are creating these new suburbs, we also have to look at how are uh, the needs of the community being met at the same time. And I think we're almost chasing uh, or playing catch up at the same time when growing populations, especially in Northwest Sydney, uh, but not having the right uh, infrastructure to support growing communities out in the West. Mm. When some of these housing estates are designed, I guess they're oftentimes designed for sort of low maintenance, you know, to the extent that there are gardens, they're sort of exactly. easy to maintain, low maintenance gardens, not a lot of tree canopy. Um, I heard recently that um, in some town centres around Western Sydney, um, you know, there are not trees and uh, there's a real mm. disconnect between sort of the tree staff on council versus the engineers or the town planners on the council um, and as a consequence now if you want to put a tree in the middle of a town centre in some of these suburbs it's forty thousand dollars to put a tree uh, because you know you've got to plant it in a place that's not going to do damage to services utilities and things like that that are under the ground and the, the streets have just literally not been designed uh, yeah. to have sort of large trees that are going to give us shade, uh, which is something that probably in the north and the south and the west and the east of Sydney, uh, we have a lot more of. That's right. Yeah. It's a design that is so poor, as you said, Chris. So what's the solution? Where do we, where do we go from here? In, in terms of like a, a way forward, this is, this is not sort of speculative, mm. this is happening right now. Um, we know that 
there are there are parts of Sydney which, over the course of the next thirty years, will literally not be livable uh, on current trends. Mm. Um, you know, parts of Sydney that will experience fifty degree days on a regular basis. Um, so, you know, housing estates that people are you know building and people are buying into at the moment, which are literally mm. uh, not going to be habitable um, mm. within our lifetimes, which is kind of horrifying. Mm. And the population is going to keep growing as well. Right. Yeah. It will. Yeah. What do we do? What's the what's the turnaround here? How do we how do we shift this balance? So um, in Voices for Power, we have come up with a roadmap, um, which we call 2.0, because this was in response to um, the COVID crisis as well. Actually, Western Sydney, we bore the, we're bearing the brunt of multiple crises at the same time, climate change, economic downturn, and this pandemic. So we wanted to create a roadmap of solutions that will be able to address a lot of these pressures. It will create jobs, it lowers the household bills, but also accelerates our transition towards clean, affordable energy. A few of these solutions are, like, for example, having grants or subsidies that help households be able to in install um, solar or energy efficiency upgrades so they can actually make the house comfortable to live in. We need solutions that address renters and apartment dwellers as well. Huge uh, proportion of people live in apartments and rent, so those solutions have to be tailored to those, you know, those houses, those needs. Uh, there's also a... Um, we're looking at, you know, are we upgrading the schools so they're comfortable to be able to, for our children to be able to study uh, and public spaces. How can we um, build more public spaces that are cool so people can escape? We also, um, maybe Ian can speak to this a little bit more, but there's a heat refuge program that the Blacktown City Council is piloting. And we want, we want maybe, um, so do you want to speak to what that program actually does? Sure. Yeah. So I guess with the consultation with Blacktown City Council at the moment, uh, they're liaising with a number of different communities in the Blacktown local government area to see if they're offering up a space in their communities as a place of refuge from heat. So if there are days that are uh, you know, over 40 degrees, there'd be an opportunity for people that live near that refuge uh, to go into that place to escape the heat and that would in, mm. I guess that would involve transportation of people from their homes to the venue etc but I, I guess it's an opportunity for the community to be uh, I guess of help of people that live in the area to get to know one another as well so that's a win but at the same time uh, for uh, I guess the council to work with community because I guess they're the representatives of the communities who vote them in power at the same time. So I think it's a good partnership with our councils, with our communities and our different leaders uh, to I guess make a change or make a difference uh, to our communities and, and, and escape from the heat. Yeah, and to just jump on, uh, just build off that. We, we think this program is great because often in our homes, we, if we rent and we live in an apartment, we can't change that. As much mm. but maybe if we, there's a grant program or subsidy program that helps community groups churches religious organizations that have these buildings to can host people they can upgrade those facilities have air conditioning there so people can go there and shelter from the heat mm. yeah and, and what about um, you Steph and, and the the workers that you're talking to people who are you know hot at home yeah. you know, hot at work it's you know we all know what that feels like it's oppressive like trying to escape that kind of heat the people that you're speaking to and the members that you're working with, what do they want to see and what are they trying to you know, ask for to, to mitigate this? So that's a great question. So some of it is about mitigation. It's about making sure, so I'll again speak for two types of members, the warehousing workers, you know, we want standards. We want a situation where if you work in a warehouse, it's not just a manager in the air-conditioned office. That gets to be comfortable at work. So we need to be able to put in place 
safety at work. And so that is about organising building power and using the health and safety legislation. So for those workers, the other types of workers that are particularly vulnerable are care workers. Mm -hmm. And because they don't actually have a workplace, they have places of work and they drive around to people's homes to look after elderly or disabled people. And you therefore don't have control over the place you go to to work. And often those people themselves are people from lower socioeconomic mm. backgrounds that can't afford to run the air conditioning, that are in the kind of homes that are not very safe places to work. So for those members, we need to be organising and educating them around what actions they can take to make sure that they are safe at work. So mm. there's that. But the bigger picture is that we want to keep working and partnering with other organisations like Nature Conservation Council and Sydney Alliance to work on solutions together because ultimately we have to organise together. We mm. need a big injection of thinking, design and money. And we're not going to get that unless we work together with others that are impacted. Mm. So that's the bigger solution. Yeah, so there's sort of the practical shorter term, if you like, or the sort of more immediate solutions around just actually being able to afford cooling and get some yes. of those practical steps in place. But then there's the kind of advocacy, bigger picture, yeah, side of yeah, things. Yeah, most definitely. And look, the, 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 the first step is really important. We are educating our members all around the country about the impacts of heat and climate change and other extreme weather and their right to take action to make sure that they're employed. The employer cannot control the weather, but they can put in place safe systems of work. So that is a really important piece for us. But it's still a band-aid piece. The, the bigger problems we need to work with others mm. to resolve. It's, I mean, it's hugely important, isn't it? We've got local government elections coming up later yes. this year in New South Wales. Um, across Western Sydney, you know, a lot of work has been done with various councils around declaring climate emergency and um, sort of just engagement around climate issues. But there's a real opportunity right now, isn't there? Like, this is not just about federal government or state government. There's things that local government can and need to be doing to ensure that our suburbs are livable into the future and, you know, tree canopy is one of them, housing design standards is one of them, uh, putting these kind of amenities and things like that that you talked about, Twee, into these suburbs is really key. And I don't think I'm preempting things, MI, if I say that um, over the next few months, the United Workers' Union, Sydney Alliance and Nature Conservation Council are going to be working together to, uh, to try to raise some of these issues Absolutely. and... and um, and try to make sure that that becomes an important thing um, over the next uh, months and years in the public discussion. Thank you guys so much uh, for joining us tonight and thank you to everybody who's uh, listening in at home. Um, this is, I think, a really important conversation that we need to, to keep going and um, certainly appreciate you taking the time tonight to, to have a yak to us. Jackie, what else is going on at the Nature Conservation Council at the moment? So many things. Anybody mention <laughs> koalas? Let's start, yes. So for anybody who's been following the news this week, big week for koalas. Uh, we launched a campaign just last week called Koalas Need Trees, because they do, yeah. <laughs> as much as the National Party doesn't like to think so. Um, and so we saw some changes to uh, the planning policy this week that would you know, put a lot of lot more koala habitat um, sort of on the block for development. Um, which you know also goes against what we're talking about here and maintaining tree canopy and, and all that kind of thing. So if that's something that people watching tonight are interested in as well, they can head to nature.org.au slash koalas need trees. And next week in Sydney, we're bringing a group of people from uh, far western New South Wales. Uh, people might remember some of the episodes where Jackie and I travelled along the Darling Barker and, and spoke to local community members uh, along the river system. Uh, 
we need to raise those voices. One of the things that we're doing is next week, a delegation will be coming from the far west uh, to Macquarie Street. Uh, we figure that uh, they're not being heard at Menindi and Wilcannia and Puncari and places like that. So let's bring them right to the centre of town. Um, we're going to be meeting with a bunch of politicians. We're, we've got a film screening on Monday night at the New South Wales Teachers Federation at Surrey Hills, which you can still get tickets to. I That's think right. there's still a few tickets left. On the website. Um, all on the website. Uh, and uh, on Tuesday night, we'll be hosting a civic leaders event uh, through the Sydney Alliance, uh, where we're going to try to tell this story as far and wide as we possibly can uh, in Sydney, where there's a lot more people and where hopefully there's a little bit more electoral power as well. Mm. So a uh, fair bit going on for us at yes. NCC. And as always, if people want to support our work, they can head to nature.org.au slash donate. Um, we rely 100% on the generous donations of our viewers and our supporters, so every little bit makes a difference. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time. If you've enjoyed this podcast, can you chip in to help us be the voice for nature? We rely on donations to keep being effective, loud and independent. Visit nature.org.au.